following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right. Good evening. Welcome, those who are here in person. And if you're just joining us online, we welcome you to Fellowship Bible Church on this Wednesday evening as we spend a few minutes of our remainder of our time this evening in God's Word and uh, finding out the truth therein that we can glean from and, and grow through. I invite you to uh, join me in the book of Ezra as we continue our study there. And uh, we'll continue in chapter 3 this evening. Last time, uh, last week that was, uh, we were in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3 where we see the initiation of, of worship being restored in Jerusalem after uh, many decades had passed since anything like that had taken place since uh, before the time which they were taken into exile. We see it saw in those uh, first seven verses that uh, the people gathered to Jerusalem and that Jeshua, who was the high priest at the time, uh, and his brethren, the Levites and other priests, built the altar to God, and, and on the altar then they, they offered burnt sacrifices, offerings to the Lord, and, uh, and they continued to celebrate the festivals that were in that month, uh, which are made mentioned in the verses there, 1 through 7. Now, this evening we're going to continue on in our study in verses 8 through uh, verse uh, 13, the remainder of the chapter. And here in these few verses, we see that the, fa- the temple foundation is laid. And that is what, part of what we learn in these few verses this evening, the laying of the foundation for the temple. In verse 8, it says, Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the rest of their brethren, and the priests, and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Uh, verse 9 says, Then Jeshua with his sons and his brothers, Cadmila with his sons, and the sons of Judah arose as one to oversee those, who, those working on the house of God. The sons of Henadad, with their sons and their brother, brethren, the Levites. Now, particularly in verses 8 and 9, we see uh, the building project begins in the second month. We see this at the beginning of verse 8. We're told this. This would be roughly seven months since the events that are written about in the first six verses, where uh, that is taking place in the first year that they had returned in the seventh month. Now, the second month of this um, was also the month month in which the Passover was celebrated. Perhaps uh, the people celebrated the Passover, and then after doing so, they came with one accord to begin this building project. It's interesting that, uh, and we said this last time, or I did, that Solomon began to build the temple in the same month, the second month of the year, some 430 years earlier. We see this in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. 
Saul, uh, excuse me, Solomon also used the same uh, kind of building materials from Lebanon, if you remember that, bringing down wood and also um, other materials to, to complete the building project some, again, 430-odd years earlier. And no doubt the people now were zealous to rebuild the temple so that it was as glorious as it was back in the day of Solomon. Of course, we know that the altar has already been rebuilt by the Levites. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 2. But the foundation would still have to be repaired or even reconstructed probably in certain uh, areas since the destruction of the temple by Nebuchadnezzar back in 586. Now, uh, you'll notice that uh, also in verses 8 and 9 that the people appoint the Levites to supervise this building project. Uh, in verse 8, it says Zerubbabel, that is the leader, uh, later on uh, in Haggai, he's called the governor, Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, Jeshua, the son of Jazadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity began work, and it says, and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work. Uh, even though it's just the rebuilding of the foundation and not even yet the temple itself, this would be a massive and monumental task to complete. Not only was it a large project, but it also was important that it was done right. This big of project would need organization, cooperation, and good leadership in order for it to, complete, to be completed uh, in a timely way, in an orderly fashion, in a way that would be pleasing uh, to God and would honor him as a place of worship. And so we see the people... Uh, and also Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the two leaders of, of the congregation, uh, they uh, appoint the Levites to supervise this project. In order to establish organization in this, in this project, the whole congregation and their leaders appoint them officially to supervise the rebuilding. And it's worth noting that it was more than just the leaders of the people who were doing the supervising. It wasn't just Zerubbabel and Jeshua who took on this monumental task. Instead, they delegated the work. One uh, who has ever worked in any kind of uh, business of hierarchy understands the importance of delegation. And one strength of any good leader, whether it be in a business or even in the spiritual realm, is the ability to delegate work. And even more importantly, knowing what to delegate and who to delegate it to. Pointing the Levites to supervise would no doubt allow them, that is, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, to focus on other civil and spiritual matters at a higher level. I think of uh, uh, the instance of Moses when his father-in-law encouraged him to delegate the responsibilities to the, to the heads of the families so that he could focus on more important situations in the congregation. And similarly, this is taking place as well here, where Zerubbabel and Jeshua, with the whole congregation, appoint the Levites to supervise. Now, notice uh, the Levites 
the kind of Levites uh, that were supervising. It wasn't just the older men. It was also anyone that was 20 years of age and older. All 20 years age, aged Levites and older were to help in the supervision of the project. Now, to us, 20 years old may seem young, but it does follow the example of David and even Moses concerning the Levites. Look just uh, for a moment, or you can just listen as I read in Numbers. Numbers uh, chapter 8. Let me turn there and read that to you. Numbers 8, verse 24. Beginning in verse 23, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, you'll notice, and you might think, wait, I thought we said 20 years old. Well, at this point, uh, it was necessary, or we could say it wasn't necessary for anyone younger to help. Uh, perhaps there wasn't the needed workforce um, but whatever the case may be, it was 25 years old. Later, we see under Solomon's uh, instruction, excuse me, David's instruction, that that age be lowered to 25. Excuse me, 20. Let me also read for you from 1 Chronicles chapter 23. 1 Chronicles 23, in verse 24. It says, these were the sons of Levi by their father's houses, the heads of the father's houses, as they were counted individually by, uh, by number of their names, who did the work for the service of the house of the Lord from the age of 20 years and above. So we see here that uh, that age is lowered, and they are responsible for important tasks in the service of the Lord and the temple. That being the case, it is assumed that by that age, a 20-year-old aged man was not acting irresponsibly, but rather was trustworthy, mature, able to effectively take part in the day-to-day operations of the temple, and even competent in this situation to supervise others as well in the rebuilding of the temple foundation. Obviously, the Levites would have a special interest in the rebuilding of the temple. Since they had been set apart by God to serve in the temple and perform the sacrifices and other duties that pertain to temple worship, therefore it's no wonder that they gladly did the work entrusted to them by the congregation. Now back in Ezra chapter 3 and verse 9, it tells us that Jeshua, who was the high priest, we know this because of what Haggai 1.1 says in Zechariah 3.1 and even 6.11, and also uh, Kadmiel and Henadad, who were family heads of the Levites. Think about it in that way, patriarchal heads representing the priests and the Levites. These men, with all their sons and their brethren and their descendants, did not delay in their responsibilities to begin overseeing the work so that it would be done properly. We see this in verse 9 when it speaks about this matter, and it says they arose as one, one people, one family, uh, one tribe, that is, the, the people of Levi, to oversee those working on the house of God. We don't see uh, 
much or there's not much more mentioned here about the kind of overseeing that they did or even how the temple foundation was laid. Rather, it just says they went about doing it, overseeing, making sure the work was completed. The next thing that we find in verse 10 is that it has been completed. And we see that in verses 10 and 11, there is, the foundation is cause for rejoicing for some. Verse 10 says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. The people uh, we see here appoint not just the Levites to supervise the project, but also they appoint the priests to perform their priestly duties. The people um, appointed the priests to put on their priestly attire, which uh, we can read about in Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 12. I'll read that for you again. You're welcome just to stay where you are. In Ezra, but in Second Chronicles chapter five, verse twelve, we find it written, and it says, "And the Levites who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them one hundred and twenty priests, priests sounding with trumpets." This uh, was also a kind of monumental time and event for the people of Israel when the ark was brought into the temple for the first time back when it was constructed under David, or excuse me, Solomon's leadership. Here, similarly, we see that the, the priests uh, adorned themselves with their priestly linens and with trumpets. And also the Levites specifically the sons of Asaph, with their cymbals, which were all used to praise the Lord. And that is the, the, the focus, the point of this particular verse here is not necessarily what they were wearing or the kind of instruments they were using, but that they were there to perform their worship and to lead the people in praising God for what had been accomplished this, of course, we see at the end of verse 9, was all done according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And that alludes back to the passage which I just read where, uh, where David, prior to his death, had installed the Levites to do specific tasks in the temple, some of which included the role of simply celebrating and thanking the Lord, offering continual thanks before God, for his goodness and for his love and for all that he had done for them. We see here then that the Levites led the people in a course of praise to God. They were to remember that God is good and that his enduring love was to be remembered by the people of God. Look with me at verse 11. It says, and they sang respectively, responsively, excuse me, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. And this is what the priests and the Levites sang. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. 
God's love for his people endured even when their love for him had failed, the very reason for which they were in exile to begin with, because of their disobedience, which was a lack of love, obedience to God. Yet here they recognize that God's love is enduring. It has not failed them. And a similar song was sung when Solomon dedicated the temple. I'll read again a few verses from Second Chronicles chapter 5. You may begin to notice the parallels between when Solomon's temple was dedicated and now when the foundation is being dedicated. Similar actions and things are taking place. Second Chronicles chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, it says, And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping, without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites who were the singers, all the, of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, we read this, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with 120 priests sounding with trumpets. And this is what they sang. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. It goes on to say that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Perhaps as the people offered their thanksgiving, perhaps they anticipated a similar kind of experience where God's presence would again dwell there in Jerusalem. Now that the temple worship was being reestablished, the people again recognized the commitment of God's unending covenantal love towards them as they offered their thanksgiving and praise to him. Now, we see when all of this is going on that uh, some of the people were shouting with a great shout. We see this in the second half of verse 11. It says, Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was raised. That was the cause for praise, that God's house, the place in which God's presence dwelled within that with them had been rebuilt and it was in going in that direction to be continually uh, established the rest of the building for some this was an occasion for a great rejoicing and as we see in verse 11 they demonstrated their joy by shouting their praise to god perhaps uh Part of that anticipation and praise was the fact that they uh, that the foundation itself had been laid, and now they were anticipating the rest of the rebuilding. When finally, not just the altar had been laid, and not just a foundation, but the whole temple would be would be rebuilt, and and their worship of God could resume. However, we see that uh, although some were rejoicing with a great shout because of the accomplishment that had taken place, not all had similar sentiments. 
We see in verses 12 and 13 that many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, that is, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. We see here that there were some, on the one hand, who were grieved at what they saw. Not necessarily because they did not anticipate being able to worship in the temple again. Rather, they wept because they knew what the former temple had looked like. You may realize that uh, if it had been 70 years or so since the deportation, some of them may have, with their very own eyes, seen the former temple in all of its glory and splendor as Solomon built it, had built it. And as they looked at the foundation for this new temple, they wept because they knew it would not compare in splendor and glory to the former. Haggai chapter 2 says something uh, about these older men. Let me turn there and read that to you. Haggai chapter 2, verse 3. It says this, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Haggai is reflecting and speaking to the people who would understand that this temple is only a shadow of what they had seen before. However, interestingly, in verse 9 of Haggai chapter 2, it says this. Haggai prophesies or speaks to the people and says, The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place I will give you peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now, the, kind, the temple that Haggai is speaking of here is to be understood not as the one which was being rebuilt in Ezra, but a later temple, which would be far greater than even Solomon's temple. You might remember Pastor's uh, study on this temple, which will be restored in the kingdom in all of its glory, the rivers that flow through it, the prince, and those who will be serving. Haggai is helping the people to recognize that even this temple which they now saw was only even a shadow of a greater one. Not just in its glory because of the materials from which it's built, but more importantly because the temple will be a place of worship of the Messianic king. The prophet looks forward to the day when the temple of God will experience a glory that is greater than any former temple, any former house of God. But nonetheless, we see in Ezra chapter 3 that still the older men, not knowing what would be 
to come in the future wept at what they saw when the foundation was laid. We find an interesting note from the author in Ezra chapter 3 concerning this whole matter that's taking place where there's great rejoicing and great weeping at the same time. And he writes in verse, uh, the end of verse 12 and through 13, Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. For those who didn't have a point of comparison, this was a great thing. As they saw God's house being reestablished and worship being restored. And that was a good thing. Yet for some it was a sad sight. However, in our eyes, we can rejoice because we know that one day, for Israel and also for our own participation, we will worship the Lord in a place which is perfect, that far exceeds the Temple of Solomon in all of its glory, far exceeds the temple which was being rebuilt during the days of Zerubbabel. And more importantly, it'll be a place of worshiping our King, our Savior, Jesus. The people of Israel were only receiving a shadow of what that will be like. Yet, for them, it was a cause for rejoicing. How much more should we rejoice as we anticipate that day, but also have the blessing and the ability to worship him freely, openly, and constantly today. I hope you'll reflect this evening as we conclude our time on just even the words of verse 11, where they sing and praise, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. That same God whose enduring love continues on with Israel is also the same enduring love that we experience ourselves as his body, the body of Christ. The goodness that they experience is the same kind of goodness because our God is unchangeable, immutable, and his goodness and his love endure forever. And therefore, we must praise and give thanks, like the priests and the Levites who were specifically commissioned for that task. We, too, are commissioned with a similar task to give thanks in all things, in everything give thanks. I pray that that will be uh, your portion this evening, to give thanks like we've done in our prayer, but continually, day after day, like we see the priests and the Levites doing here. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the account which is recorded before us this evening, your inspired word, Lord, that we might learn and grow from it. Lord, we pray that we would learn from the lessons of the people of Israel in one way to not disobey, to turn away from loving you as they did on many occasions, but Lord, to offer our thanks and praise. Lord, as we anticipate a day in which we will worship you, 
in your presence. Lord, we know that nothing can compare to that kind of worship in that place at that time. But Lord, what a blessing it is to be able to do it where we are right now. And may we be faithful to do that. May we remember your goodness and your love while we worship you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hope you enjoy a few moments of fellowship this evening. Able to spend some time together encouraging one another in these matters. And uh, for those who are online, have a good evening. And uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Good night.